0: Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just wanna welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just wanna let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We wanna be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody. Doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. Hey, what's up, CC? Welcome again. We're so glad you're joining us today. And if you are on one of our platforms where there's a chat, throw up an emoji in there and just give some love to our bridge builders who are continuing to serve so incredibly well uh, during this season. But I'm so glad you're joining us, whether you are in the lane of a uh, longtime follower of Jesus, call yourself a CC'er, or you're just investigating today. In a lot of ways, our church was designed with you in mind, so I'm glad you are tuning in uh, today. So real quick before I dive into part three of the messy middle. I just wanna talk about something uh, kind of heavy for a minute that I think is really, really important. And in fact, the message is kind of heavy. So, uh, But don't tune out early today because it might be helpful. But like many of you over the past several weeks, uh, I've just been at a loss for words and my heart has been so heavy and I don't use those words lightly over what's happened in our country. First with Ahmaud Arbery and then over these, this last week, with George Floyd and the killings, senseless killings of these individuals and all of the implications of that. And honestly, I have had no words. I haven't even been able to post anything over the last couple of, way, uh, last couple of days because I just didn't know what to say. But here's where um, I arrived and it's at this conclusion. And um, I usually arrive at this conclusion with anything like this because I just can't be silent. But I know that I cannot not say something because this is not just a cultural issue this is not a political issue. This ultimately is a Jesus issue. And it's a Jesus issue because with what we believe from the scriptures is that Jesus was the one in the first century that brought the idea that was unknown in the ancient world of ascribed worth and that reconciliation is now possible because of what Jesus has done. And the church has a unique voice in that. So over this weekend, I was reading the famous uh, letter, the letter from the Birmingham jail that was written by Martin Luther King Jr. in 1963 in the heart of the civil rights movement. And as I was reading it, there was a paragraph that really jumped out to me because in this letter basically what Martin Luther King is addressing is the apathy and the indifference and the silence of so many people. And in the letter he specifically addresses the church in 1963 and here's what he writes. I just wanna read this paragraph to you real quick. He says this, There was a time when the church was very powerful in the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, and this is the line that got me, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and the principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. But the judgment of God is upon the church today as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. And I would add for the 21st century, And I would say that that is as relevant today as it was in 1963 in the middle middle of all that was going on during that time. And I would just say this, is I think the church has a unique role to play if nothing else than to raise our voices and no matter what the cost is, to be bold in calling what is happening what it is. Because here's what you will find in the first century. Jesus brought this idea of a scribe worth that everybody has value because they are made in the image of God and when people understand the gospel or the good news of Jesus, reconciliation is possible for anyone, anywhere because that is at the heart of his message. And it was unknown in a Roman world until Jesus brought it. In fact, what you will find in the first century is that racism and racial injustice was the first thing that was obliterated when people understood the gospel and the dividing wall between Jews and Greeks and Romans all began to fall because they found unity in Jesus. And in fact, in Colossians, Paul many historians and um, critics would say that Paul writes the first reference to egalitarianism in all of literature in Colossians because that's what Jesus brought to planet earth. And the church has a unique role to play in having a voice in what is happening in our country and in our world. And so I would just say this, and I'll be quick, is I think we just need to call it what it is. I think that we need to recognize that there is a problem and use words that we are sometimes uncomfortable using, like racism and dehumanization and prejudice. And it's not in one area, it's not with one group of people, I think it has the potential to be prevalent everywhere, in your circles, in my life, in our churches, and we have to at least be willing, if nothing else, to stand up, to be bold, and go, this is a problem, and we don't have the solutions, but it needs to be confronted, and ultimately, we do believe that there is answers in Jesus. So can I just tell you this real quick? And and all I can do is speak to my white brothers and sisters, and I say this with humility. Like, I, I think we need to be really, really careful of rushing to quick statements that sometimes can cause us to hide behind, well, I just need more info, I just need to not rush to judgment. I just need to be careful. It's an isolated incident. What about, what about, what about, what about? Can I just say this in love? I have never heard anybody post those comments or utter those words with tears in their eyes. And at the very least, even if that is true or if you believe that that is true, and in some cases that is true, at the very least we have been called to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and to recognize that there are brothers and sisters who are hurting deeply and we have been called to enter into some of that pain to weep with them. And can I just say this for what it's worth? I think we need to be really careful of just rolling to the, it's not a race problem, it's a sin problem. Listen, the moment you generalize any problem, the moment you generalize any kind of issue, is the moment that it becomes really, really easy to not do anything about that issue. The moment you take something that is specific and make it general, it's really easy to not have to deal with it, to not have to look at it, and ultimately to not have to look in the mirror. Listen, we know that every issue in humanity is is as the result of sin that's entered the world. But there are specific systemic issues that result from that sin that have to be called out. And here's what you'll find from scripture. Until we are willing to acknowledge what is broken, God will not heal it. God does not bring healing to general problems that we will not acknowledge. He brings healing to specific problems understanding and acknowledging and embracing and repentance. And so I just wanna encourage us, and it starts with me and it starts with our church, is that we need to acknowledge that there is a problem. And we need to acknowledge what is going on and what people are feeling all around us, including many in our CC family. And what I would say is there is hope in Jesus, there is reconciliation that is possible in Jesus, but in order for anything that is broken to be reconciled, we have to acknowledge that it is broken. And so I just wanna acknowledge, I think there is a problem. I think that problem has the propensity to make its way in me without even knowing it. I think it's a problem in our churches. I think it's a problem in our culture. And I think that we have to face it. And so what I would say in closing before I pray to all of our CC brothers and sisters locally and globally, those of you who are hurting deeply right now, here's what I wanna say as your pastor, there is no way that I can understand fully. But what I would say with complete authenticity is I hurt for you. And my my declaration is that I will do everything I can to listen to you and to look in the mirror and to look at our church and to even look in groups around me and acknowledge maybe what I don't want to so easily acknowledge. And so that's where I'm at. As I was thinking this week, what, what can I do? Here's the only thing I can do. As a pastor with some sort of platform, I can at least acknowledge this and that's what I'm doing right now. And secondly, what I can do is have greater boldness to call it out when I see it around me, and I'm going to. And thirdly, the thing that I can do is I can listen, I can lead our church to listen, and we can pray. And my hope is that somehow this might be a tipping point in our country and our nation that leads people to repentance, cause the church to be bold and cause the white church to be bold. And the fact that I even have to say that is a problem and that God would bring repentance and reconciliation and restoration. And that's what we're gonna pray for. And it doesn't matter what your political affiliation is or what you've experienced in the past, all of us can come together around that. And so would you, wherever you're at, would you just pray for me right now? If you're a part of our CC fam, would you just agree together with me in prayer wherever you are at in this moment? Jesus, I continue to lack words that are eloquent or that are even right or are helpful, but Lord, I know that you've called me to say something. And so I pray that you would take my feeble attempts and you would use it More than anything else, my concern is to communicate to all of our brothers and sisters that are part of our church family and radio family, which is extensive. And Lord, you would help them to know that we stand with them, we hurt with them, that we wanna listen to them. Lord, I, I pray that for many of us, and Lord, I do believe at some level, this is a tipping point. This is different what is happening right now that we would listen more than ever before, that some of us who have just been unwilling to look in the mirror and acknowledge things or so easily brush things off, Lord, we would just be led to a different level of wanting to, to confront some things and see some things and listen to some people that we just haven't previously. And Lord, I pray that number one, the church would rise up of every generation, every ethnicity, every racial background, every socioeconomic status, that that we would begin to be the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17, that above everything else, that we would unify around what Jesus has done. And Lord, I pray that there would begin to be healing. I pray for those in our country who are hurt right now, that Lord, you would push back the forces of evil, even in terms of the response to evil, And that Lord, as Paul talks about in the New Testament, that that we would be angry, that those who have been hurt so deeply would be angry without sin. And God, I just pray at every level, you would do what we, we have no way how it could happen or take place outside of your supernatural invasion without your spirit's work, without you coming to reconcile and do something that's way beyond what we can even imagine. But we know it's possible because it happened once. And so God, I pray that you would do that in our country. I pray that you would heal and do that in our churches. And I pray that you would just give us humility to be able to listen and come together and speak up and just be sensitive to what you call us to do. And we're asking and praying that. Lord, at a global level, I'm asking and praying that for our Centerpoint family. And we pray this and we ask this in the incredible and reconciling name of Jesus. Amen. So if that wasn't heavy enough, um, here's what I wanna talk about today. Just quick, hard, right, right into this message. So what I want to talk about today is so, I think, intense at some level that a lot of people are going to have one of two responses. It's either going to be, I just don't believe that, which I get it, you don't have to. Number two, your response is gonna be, I've never heard that. And in some ways it blows up all of my theology. And I understand that as well. But for some of us, maybe many who are watching, listening right now, what I'm gonna talk about is exactly where they are. And it's not necessarily emotionally satisfying, meaning you don't get to the end and go, oh, that's amazing. It takes all of my dilemmas intentions around what I'm going through away. It doesn't do that. But it may be actually the context that you need. And here's what I wanna talk about is that through the years, over and over and over again, I've met people who are walking through incredible adversity and incredible suffering. And they're in the middle of where they used to be and where ultimately they wanna be. And in walking through that adversity and in that messiness, they decide, and that's a huge term to use, huge word to use, but they decide to accept that adversity and that suffering as coming from the loving hand of their heavenly father. What's right there, I get if that just that statement bothers you, but somehow they stop seeing what they're walking through as an enemy. They stop seeing what they're walking through as something to fight and they literally accept it and they allow God to do something in it. And again, I get that it's intense and you don't have to believe it, but for some of you, that's exactly where you are right now. So before I get there, here's what this whole series is about is it is the messy middle. Like here's where I was maybe, here's where I wanna be, but I'm just stuck and there's really no good options and I don't know the way forward and I need a job and I'm not married and I wanna be married or how do I deal with this divorce or my educational dream or business dream has died. In fact, COVID stole my business in your eyes. Um, This is not where I wanted to be in life. And here you are kind of in the middle and a lot of times it gets messy in the middle when you're walking through anything. That's the place a lot of times you start to doubt God. That's the place you lose contentment. A lot of times you lose hope. That's the place where you reach for bad habits that are kind of self-medication that that you're tempted in a greater way during the messy middle. But there's all kinds of implications to it. And a lot of times, as we said briefly last week, you start to draw bad conclusions. You get in the middle of something, you start to think I'm never gonna be happy again, which is usually a lie. Nothing good could ever come out of this. And there's no point even in trying. Like there's points where you get into something and it just feels like God's not paying attention. Nobody else is paying attention. I don't even know if it's worth it to do the right thing. I don't know if it even matters anymore. I don't know if it matters if I stick it out to try to be faithful in this marriage. And you just start to draw a lot of bad conclusions and you draw a lot of bad conclusions about God. Come on, isn't this a story for a lot of us? Like when you're in the middle of something and you're walking through it, it is so easy to start to project your circumstances on God. And you start to think maybe God's apathetic Maybe I'm walking through this because God's just straight up absent, or maybe I'm dealing with this because God's angry and God's getting back at me for something. Here's what we said already in this series, and I'd love if you go back and listen, catch it on Podcast Catch, our website, app, wherever. But here's what we've said, there's no correlation. That when you're walking through anything, and this is a message that so many of us need to hear, there's no correlation between your circumstances and what you're feeling and God's love, God's goodness, God's presence. God's activity in your life. In fact, here's one of the things that's kind of comforting to me as I read the New Testament. Um, As you read the New Testament, as we said in the series, first century followers of Jesus were not unaccustomed to adversity. Like they were not unaccustomed to suffering. And in fact, that suffering and that adversity was actually the thing that compelled the message of Jesus out of the first century. And those guys after the resurrection, they never doubted the goodness of God when they were walking through anything. They just recognized what Jesus had promised. In this life, you are gonna have crap that hits the fan and it's gonna get really hard. And yet they allowed that stuff in those circumstances to compel the message out of the first century. In fact, there's no greater example example than Paul that we looked at last week. Paul's a guy that actually never met Jesus. Though the kind of timing coincided, but he got to know a lot of Jesus, um, very close, intimate followers, spent a lot of time with them, did a lot of interviews with them. Paul was the guy, as many of you know, that wanted to end Christianity and then he becomes a Christian, which if you're a skeptic, you should look at that. That's just, it's weird. How do you reconcile that? But he becomes this incredible Christian, greatest church planner in history. It takes years to get to that point. But finally, when things are starting to kind of roll for Paul, like he's got a ministry that's, that's moving. He's planting churches all over the Mediterranean rim. He's finally kind of starting to, at least at some level, move past his past a little bit. And as soon as things are starting to get good, he's hit with something really hard. And that's just life, right? Like, that's just a, things starting to go well financially, and then my car just stops working. I start to get something, like, our marriage starts to get better, and then my kid goes off the rails. Like, that's just all of us have experienced that. Things start to get good for Paul. And the moment they get good, he gets hit with something incredibly hard. And when he gets hit with this, immediately he thinks, well, this is keeping me from what God's called me to do, I can't do it effectively. I don't think I can accomplish the destiny God has for my life because of this. So he begins to pray to God and he just expects God's gonna take it away because I can't function the way God you've called me to function and deal with this thing that we're gonna talk about that you've given me. And so Paul just begins to plead and cry out to God, God, you gotta take this away. And he's waiting for the answer. And the answer he gets back is not at all the answer that he expected. Because the answer that he gets back is a gracious, loving, I hear you. Thank you for pleading with me. Thank you for honoring me with your prayers. No, I'm not gonna change it. And as Paul is walking through all of this, like his messy middle circumstance, he gives brilliant insight into what he learns. And I'm just tell, telling you, for anybody who's walking through anything right now and you are in the middle of it, I'm telling you what Paul's words Say are so relevant to what you are experiencing. And here's what he writes to a church in Corinth in Second Corinthians 12:7, um, Throw something up on the comments if you're with me, because I wish you were shouting me down in the seat right here. Second Corinthians, my wife is whisper shouting um, over to my right. Here's what Paul says, "Therefore, in order to," which in the Greek, real quick, that is just purpose statement. Therefore, this is Paul writing about th- these incidents where he's crying out to God, he's in the middle of something that he doesn't want and he's expecting God to change it or to take it away. And so he says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, because Paul, if you just read what he wrote in the New Testament, even if you don't believe, you should read it because it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Paul was given a different level of wisdom than most of us will ever acquire. And so he's like, in order to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me, pause. Now here's the thing, in the Greek, that word right there is just a common Greek word for a common gift that would be given to you, like in our context, at Christmas, your birthday, like here's a gift. This Greek word, it's really interesting, is never, ever used in relation to punishment. This is just a, you go to a party and somebody brings you a gift. And so Paul's like, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given basically a gift. And so like at that point, if you haven't read this, you're like, cool, what did you get? And then Paul continues at the end of verse seven, a thorn in my flesh as a messenger of Satan to torment me, which sounds like a horror movie. Like, okay, that's gift- and torment are mutually exclusive terms unless somebody is buying you a treadmill. Like gift and torment do not go together. And so as you're reading this, like, I think your pushback is like, okay, Paul, I think you got it wrong. All, I mean, all due respect, you're brilliant. I love what you wrote, but I think you meant to use the word you you received a curse or you received punishment. I don't think you can put gift and then a thorn in your flesh that was a direct message from Satan to torment you. Like that does not jive together. Now there's a lot of like inference about what this means. It Most likely this is kind of a figure of speech. Like when you say something like it hurts like hell. I I don't know that it was literally Satan's like delivering this thing to torment him, but that's what it felt like to Paul. And so basically, here's what Paul has dealt with, a painful, humiliating, and debilitating something. And we don't know fully what it is, but Paul's like, I'm just telling you, this thing is killing me right now. In fact, the Greek word, not to go over the top with Greek, so I won't even share the words, I'll just give you the meaning, but the whole word torment just was the word they would use for bullying or to strike with a fist. What Paul's trying to convey is, this thing is beating me up, come on, anybody, and beating me down seemingly every day of my life. It's debilitating, it's humiliating, it is painful, but we don't know what it is. In fact, I think we don't know what it is because if we knew what it was, we wouldn't relate to it at the same level. So it's kind of i I'm not gonna tell you fill in the blank because you got your own circumstance. And it could have been, I mean, it could have been an eye issue, something. Um, It could have been epilepsy. He could have had seizures, and they didn't really have any context for those. So it was just crazy, and it was embarrassing. In a lot of cases, um, many would think it's mental illness. It's some kind of depression, which, by the way, if you read what Paul went through in the New Testament, it is easy for me to believe that he struggled with some kind of severe level of depression. But whatever it was, it affected every area of his life. And in his eyes, it it affected what God literally had called him to do. But we know at some level, somehow, Paul got to the place, and I know this is crazy and you don't have to believe this, but got to the place to in some ways view it as a gift with a purpose, that God was gonna use it. But but the reality of what Paul writes, I love, because here's what he does next. He does exactly what we would do in verse eight. Three times, I pleaded, I pleaded, with the Lord that he would take it from me. Like, that's just real. I don't want this, I don't wanna be a martyr. I don't wanna have this thing where it's like, oh, I'll look, look, look at you know, what I've been able to endure. Nobody chooses that. And so what Paul writes is most likely this is either three seasons or three years of his life, we don't really know. Probably every day, probably every morning, probably every evening, Paul is pleading and crying out. God, you gotta do something about this, you gotta correct this, you gotta take this away. Now, let me just give you a little context for some of you that, and I know I've been preaching in this kind of lane for a number of weeks now, but I think it's really important that we kind of build the foundation for this as a church and as a, a community that stretches pretty wide. But, but just think about this for a second is that Paul had been called to do the greatest thing in his generation. What Paul's about to do in his lifespan, nobody's gonna match it during that period of time and maybe in all of history. And so you would think if anybody's got leverage with God, If anybody's owed anything or if anybody has enough faith to somehow kind of move the needle and get God to react or act, it's Paul. And I just wanna say this for a second, for some of you who have been sold some really tragic, really unhelpful theology that is just straight up a lie where you you have this idea that somebody told you, if you just have enough faith, God's gonna change it. God's gonna come through. God's gonna answer with it. Yes, God's gonna make you healthy. God wants to just make you happy. God wants to make, The trend lines go up into the right and he wants to make you wealthy. I just wanna tell you, that is a lie and it is not true. And you don't find it anywhere in scripture. And there is nothing where it relates to if you just have enough faith, God's gonna do it. In fact, over and over, and I've said this before in scripture, here's what you find about faith. It is not about the size of your faith. It is about the object of your faith. And the object of your faith is Jesus and that he can And our prayers are, I'm asking if you're willing, but a lot of times you're not willing. And so I just know there's something that you wanna do in and through this, but I have never been promised this side of of heaven, health, wealth, and prosperity. I've been promised that I'm gonna walk through hard times and that Jesus will be enough in those hard times. And so I just wanna encourage you, if you've been sold that theology, listen, you just need to know this. Paul had more faith than you and I combined. And he pleaded with God and he asked God. And God still didn't answer the way Paul wanted. What's for some of you, oddly enough, is weirdly comforting. And then verse nine, here's what Paul writes, but here's what God did say to me, here's what he did answer. And like, this is where I'm a little jealous because for some of us in the midst of whatever we're walking through, this would be enough if we could just get this. But he said to me, talking about God, to Paul, Paul, I hear you, I get it, I know what you want me to do. I'm not gonna do it. But Paul, my grace is sufficient. Literally, my grace is enough for you, for my power. We've said this often, but can we just reiterate this idea that nobody has power like Jesus power. Nobody can walk into a grave dead without breath and then come back out of that grave with life. Nobody can give sight to the blind. Nobody can speak and command nature and it obeys. Nobody can raise kings up and put kings down and raise up nations and slide them off the landscape of history. Nobody has power like Jesus' power. And he says, my power is made perfect or literally is experienced in your weakness. And the best way to understand this without like going crazy with Greek, but in the Greek, really you could interchange those two words and it would read like this. My power is sufficient for you because my grace is made perfect in that place where you're at your weakest. I'll never forget in college, I was probably a junior and I was really struggling. I was really struggling with just some stuff that I was walking through and I was was asking God to change it. I was I was struggling in a big way. And I remember being, and I won't give you all the details, but I remember being in my car during a lunch break um, during college before I had my next class. And I was, I was listening to it and then I was reading these verses. And it's so personal to me because I remember getting to this verse and the thing that I was asking God about, pleading about, it's as if verse nine was his answer to me. And I'm not ashamed to tell you, I just wept in my car. Like in that moment, those words and that reality with what I was walking through hit me like nothing has ever hit me from the scriptures before. And it felt like God was saying to me in the midst of that circumstance, I'm not gonna do what you want, but my grace is gonna be enough for you because my power is gonna be perfected in what you want me to take away. And God, in essence, to Paul is like, Paul, yeah, the answer is no, but I'm gonna give you grace. And this grace isn't just like the grace at salvation that covers sin. This is grace that has the idea of, I'm gonna give you grace that is embodied in power and strength to keep going when you don't think you can keep going and to trust me when you don't think you can trust me. And literally, my power is gonna come to full measure on the stage of your weakness. So Paul, I'm not gonna change it but I'm gonna use it to flex my muscle and my power in the very thing that you want me to take away. And so in essence, when Paul gets this answer, here's where he's at. I'm left with something that's painful, it's humiliating, it's debilitating, whatever it is, and now it's permanent. It's not gonna go away. God's not gonna change it. God's not gonna give me a yes. Somehow I gotta walk through this. And so God as he's answering Paul's prayers. He's like, Paul, no, but I love you and I'm for you. And I have a purpose for you that will be unmatched in your generation. And I'm gonna use you to change all of history. But the answer is no, but here's a promise. Paul, my grace. It's gonna be sufficient for you. And my power is gonna be shown off on the stage of your weakness. That's my answer. And so like, what, what do you do if you're Paul? And I'm just telling you what Paul says next. This is why I love the New Testament. This is why as a skeptic, you should give it another look. I encourage honest evaluation and questions. If somebody tells you you can't question, like you just need to abandon that group or find another church. But like, this is something you should look at because nobody would make this up. And Paul says, I will therefore, purpose statement, this this is what you're gonna do in the middle. This is what Paul's doing in the middle, the messiness. I wanted it to change, but God's not gonna change it. So he says this, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, about this thing I wanted God to change so that, here's his purpose, Christ's power may rest on me. Paul's like, Since this isn't gonna go away, I already know that. Since this thing, whatever this thing is in, is in the way, since this thing is in my way, and since people are always gonna wonder, hey, Paul, what's up with you? Paul, what is that? Paul, why are you struggling with that? Paul, we thought you had more faith than that. Paul, why hasn't God done something about that? Since that's gonna be true my entire life, Paul's like, here's where I'm gonna land. I'm gonna own it, and I'm gonna let it take center stage in my life so that Christ's power can rest on me and be seen through me. I'm not gonna hide it, I'm not gonna skirt the issue. I'm not gonna avoid making eye contact with you. It's just gonna be front and center. It may make you uncomfortable. That's okay. I'll make you uncomfortable. But it is the place where God's power and God's grace is gonna take center stage. And I'm not gonna spend another day of my life hiding it, covering it up, or lying about it because I'm robbing God of what he wants to do through it. So that's where I'm at on the whole issue. Like that's where I'm gonna end up with this whole thing. Literally, this is, this is what I put in my lo- notes. Embracing... That greatest point of weakness is the prerequisite to experience Jesus' power. Like, I I think this is true with most things in our life, but there's some things that we are tempted to cover up or to lie about or pretend that they're humiliating, they're painful, maybe they're embarrassing. And I think in a lot of cases, it's gonna look different for everybody in terms of what this actually leads to, but I think until you own it, it will always own you until you feel like you always have to hide it or lie about it or cover it up or pretend like it didn't happen. I think at some level that thing always owns you rather than going, you know what, I'm going to own it because the moment I own it and accept it is the moment that God's glory can work through it. And come on, can we just say this? Nobody is really moved or changed by your curated Instagram life. They are changed by the points of your greatest weakness where God's grace and power is shown through it. And so here's why I think this is so important for us. As you encounter those issues, maybe you're walking through right now, I don't know what it is, but the Holy Spirit can do that. It's already at the forefront of your mind. You don't need me to bring it to the surface. Whatever that issue is or whatever that embarrassing circumstance is, wherever you feel like you fell short, it's not even something you did, it's not a sin, but it's just, it's just this thing that you're carrying. Wherever you have the tendency to hide or pretend and lie, Paul says, it's not until you get over that. And that at some level, and this is so hard to grasp, and maybe you just don't want to, but you see it as a gift that God's given you with a purpose. And ultimately you will experience his power through it. And then Paul concludes this way. So, This is why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, all this stuff that's humiliating, painful, embarrassing in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, come on, nobody wants that ministry. For when I am weak, when I acknowledge my weakness, when I embrace my weakness, when I, I just acknowledge I cannot handle all of this and this is not what I would have chosen. When I am weak, that is when I am strong. Now I just tell you, that is inherently un-American. That is not something we value, that is not something we espouse, that is not something we teach, that is the antithesis of what we think in terms of a lot of us, in terms of what it means to do life and be an American. If you're not American, like maybe this relates to you, but just take a look into our culture. Like finding strength in your weakness is just not what we do. And what Paul's saying is, that's why you aren't experiencing God's power in the area where you struggle the most. Because it is not available to you till you are willing to embrace and own your weakness. So listen, what do you do you do in the middle of whatever you're walking through? I think it hinges on the phrases that Paul started with at the beginning. And he said this, in order to, I was given a thorn. In order to, purpose. In order to, I was given a thorn. For God to fulfill his purpose through me. So uncomfortable. I was given a gift and the gift was in the form of thorn. The gift was in the form of a dream that I I put everything into and it died and the dream is not gonna be revived. It it was in the gift of this thing that I just didn't want, uh, a mental illness that I I don't wanna carry in the form of, of whatever that's just not turning out the way I thought. And the gift came with a promise and a purpose But Paul would say I had to see it as a gift and not an enemy. I could not do war with it my entire life and I had to embrace it rather than hide it. And when I did, I experienced Christ's power in that place more than I had in any other place or circumstance of my life. So that brings us to us. So here's what I would say to you in, in these couple minutes. If you believe that God can change your circumstances, and for a lot of us, we do. Like if you believe that that today, like God could heal that marriage, that God could take away that illness, that God could heal you of that depression, that God could put this broken circumstance back together, that God could give you back the job that you lost, that God could breathe life back into that business, that God could reconcile that relationship with your sister-in-law, that God could change it, God could revive the dream. If you believe that God could change it, and many of you do, but he hasn't, you have the option to receive that suffering and that hardship and that difficult circumstance is a gift with a purpose and a promise that God's gonna do something through it. And here's what I would say, you have the option to do that because I don't think I have the authority to tell you, you have to do that. And you could live your whole life and never do that. But I think that what I'm talking about a lot of times is not immediate, it's a season. For Paul, it was three seasons. It was three years of wrestling and pleading and asking. And I think all of that is appropriate and the scripture invites us to that. And then there was finally a moment where Paul felt like he got the answer of, I'm not gonna get what I want. And so now I'm calling an audible and I'm gonna shift my focus. And I realized that God, for whatever reason, I'm not saying, depending on the circumstance that you created it, but you're allowing it. And it is coming from the hand of my heavenly father because nothing happens to me that doesn't pass through his hand first. And so I'm gonna receive it as a gift with a purpose and a promise. But I think that takes some wrestling and some pleading. And then the last thing, I wanna speak to some of you that this is just blowing up your theology because the first thing you're accusing me of is not having enough faith. And I get that. But I'm just telling you, the vending machine version of God where you just type in the right things or you you punch the level of faith that you need to get God to do it, that God does not exist. And by the way, if if your theology causes you to have more faith than guys like Paul or Jesus, then your theology is wrong because they had lots of faith and they suffered anyway. In fact, let me just draw you to this last example. Jesus, the night before he was crucified, our savior faced a similar type thing when he was wrestling with God and Luke records it in Luke twenty-two forty-one, 41. And he writes this, that Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw away beyond them talking about the disciples. And he knelt down and he prayed. And this is, this is hours before he would endure suffering like we can't even imagine. And he knew what was ahead. And in verse 42, listen to what Jesus prayed. Father, if you're willing, This is biblical faith. It is, God, I know that you can because you can do anything. And so my prayer of faith is you can. I'm asking if you're willing, but you may not be willing. Father. If you're willing, take this cup from me. And Jesus in this moment understood that this was a gift, that there was a purpose that was gonna impact and bring salvation to the world, that there was a promise that God the Father was gonna be with him, but he still in this moment, prays God would somehow, would you take this away or would you find a better way or a different way? So take this cup from me. And then this is the linchpin. This is the catalyst is the tipping point. Yet not my will, but your will be done. And the scripture says that when you walk through something and suffer through something that may not ultimately turn out the way you want, and you're willing to get to the place to go, God, it is not my will, but your will be done, that you have a special connection with the suffering of your savior that's hard for me to describe, but it's true and it's available. And God does something from it. So here's what this means, and I'm gonna be done you have the permission to ask God to remove what you're walking through right now and you should plead and you should wrestle. And God has the permission to say no. And if you believe in biblical Christianity and what Jesus ultimately brought to planet earth that you see all throughout the scriptures and all throughout the New Testament, our faith, God's love and our standing with God do not require a yes. And in fact, all of us are really grateful that our heavenly father said no in the garden of Gethsemane. So God may choose to highlight, to flex and to show off his power on the stage of your weakness. And so we should plead, we should believe in faith that God can. God, we're asking if you're willing, but we should also be willing at a certain point, And you have the option to do this or not do this, but God, I, I don't know if you're going to change this. I don't know if this is going to work out the way that I want. And this is not an indication of your love, your activity, your goodness, and your grace. And so I'm going to declare to you, not my will, but your will be done. And it may be the the place for some of us where we receive that thing that we have been so fighting against is God. I'm going to receive this as the weirdest gift ever with a purpose and a promise that Jesus will be enough through it and that weakness will be the stage of his grace, his power and his strength being shown off in my life in a way that I could never imagine. Would you just pray with me right now wherever you are? Jesus, I just thank you that you give us a theology and a view of you that does not crumple or disintegrate under the weight of real life. It's not a message that just works in one culture or one generation or one area of the country, but it lives up and it holds up under the complexity of life and suffering and disappointment and dying dreams in all of the world in every generation that ultimately we are living between a bigger middle than just our circumstance. You created the world to work one way in Genesis. Sin entered the world and fractured everything and brought pain and racism and injustice and dreams that died and relationships that end. And we're in the middle, but we are waiting for a day where you are gonna right every wrong. You are gonna bring about justice. You're gonna wipe away every tear. And we know that because you walked out of a grave alive. But in the meantime, we walk through the middle And for some of us, it's hard right now and it's messy. And Lord, I just pray that wherever we are, that God, maybe you would begin to reframe what we're walking through right now. And and for some of us in circumstances we've been wrestling with for a while, this is is the context that we needed. That it's not what we've wanted. It's not what we would have chosen, but God, we're gonna receive it. We're gonna own it. We're gonna stop trying to hide it. We're gonna declare that we want your will in our life. And this may be the epicenter of where you wanna show off your power, your grace and your strength. And so I just pray that you would meet us in our circumstance and our story in a very specific way. And I pray this in the incredible, saving, sustaining and life-giving name of Jesus. Amen.